This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Shannon Green. This Christmas Eve, Congress is checking its lengthy post-holiday to-do list. Key decisions on the border, aid to Ukraine and Israel, and trying to avoid a looming government shutdown. And there are a number of significant issues our colleagues are still working to resolve. Finding the middle ground is exceptionally hard. The border bursting at the seams, a deal to toughen policy, elusive, and emergency funding for Israel and Ukraine caught in the crosshairs. While the Supreme Court is thrust into the center of the 2024 election. We'll discuss it all with Senator Bill Haggerty, a Republican member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Then stories to help us all keep the faith this holiday season. Zach Williams come to Jesus moment that led him to his true calling. There was this emptiness that I was searching for that, you know, that filled for that time, but it didn't last. Olympic skating legend Scott Hamilton on the flip side of early success. And I felt, um, I felt this, this kind of odd, um, like I was like, what do I do now? Toby Mack on channeling heartbreak to meet others in their hour of need. I wouldn't want to be the guy that wrote that song that met them where they were, but I'm that guy. Plus, one-on-one with CeCe Winans, the best-selling female gospel artist of all time. I want to offer hope because no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, you're praying for something. And my sit down with the one and only Michael W. Smith, whose songs have become the soundtrack of so many lives. Did you ever think of this snowball of where your career would take you? I pinch myself every day that I get to do this. All right now on a special edition of Fox News Sunday, Keeping the Faith. Hello from Fox News in Washington. This is a reflective, holy part of the year for many faiths. A time to take stock of where we've been and where we're going. And do we need it more than ever here in Washington and across the country? Congress is now home, facing a massive to-do list in the new year. One of those items, what to do about the border. This week, we've seen record numbers of crossings. Some days, more than 10,000 in 24 hours. The pictures are dramatic. The consequences dire. President Biden is sending his Secretary of State and Homeland Security Secretary to meet with Mexico's president in the coming days, as negotiators on Capitol Hill will continue to work through the recess. Caught up in the debate, U.S. aid to Ukraine, which is set to run out December 30th. Money for Israel also faces resistance. Plus, lawmakers will have just 10 days once they return to reach an agreement on a broader spending plan to avoid a government shutdown. 
All of this taking place against the backdrop of the first votes in next year's presidential election. And as the Supreme Court takes center stage in the Republican frontrunners' legal battles. Tennessee Senator Bill Haggerty joins us now live from Nashville to discuss all of this. He's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and also the Appropriations Committee. Senator, great to have you with us today. It's good to be with you on this Christmas Eve, Shannon. Thank you. Okay, we'll try to get to all those things, but I want to start with some overnight news um, from CENTCOM about more attacks in the Red Sea. They say in Saturday they took down four incoming drones to a U.S. destroyer. That destroyer was then asked to come to the aid of two different commercial vessels that said they came under attack or attempted attack. Uh, Iran seems to be behind much of this. The Wall Street Journal reporting this. The direct involvement by Iranian actors in the attacks raises the stakes for Israel and the U.S., which are eager to contain Tehran's role in the region and risks creating a new front in the conflict between Israel and its foes in the region, just as the U.S. is trying to stop it from escalating. Do you think the Biden administration is taking the appropriate response action with regard to Iran's involvement in all of these things? They're not taking a consistent response, so of course it's not appropriate. That's why Iran feels emboldened. What we've seen is put two aircraft carrier strike groups into the region. That's a massive show of military force. But we've been highly inconsistent in terms of the way we deal with Iran from an economic standpoint and from a diplomatic standpoint. From an economic standpoint, Shannon, you remember under President Trump, we put in place the maximum pressure campaign. I worked on that in his administration. We brought down Iran's foreign currency reserves to below $8 billion. As soon as Joe Biden came into office, they stopped enforcing the sanctions. Billions of dollars began to flow. According to our estimates, they've enriched themselves by over $100 billion in terms of illicit oil sales. And it continues just because the Biden administration wants to appease the Iranian regime. From a diplomatic standpoint, we've been sending mixed messages to Israel. You know, we, we talk about ceasefires. We talk about sending humanitarian aid into Gaza. We talk about putting conditions on aid. These mixed messages and the fact that we've allowed Iran to enrich itself and repopulate Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis with the weapons that they need have created this situation. We need to come back and snap back economic sanctions immediately on Iran. We need to send a clear diplomatic message. That's what we need to see to get the situation to calm down. We have to maintain freedom of navigation operations in the seas. We cannot cede that to Iran. It's just one of the many foreign policy headaches for this administration, the serious yeah. issues that they have got to find solutions to the border, of course, that we've talked about. I want to just recap where we are, because late Friday, going into a holiday weekend, we got new numbers on what's happening there. Nearly 243,000 encounters with people at the southern border illegally. Highest number on November, highest November on record. It's the third highest month in this current crisis. We've got days where more than 12,000 people are showing up a day at the southern border. A woman this week reportedly crossed in illegally legally from Colombia, was given a 2031 date to check in with ICE. One Border Patrol agent told us the people in charge have turned an entire agency of courageous individuals into department store greeters. This is one of the looming issues. You guys have got to hammer out in January. Can you tell those Border Patrol agents or the American people more broadly there are substantive changes coming? Shannon, you use the word crisis. It couldn't be, it couldn't be more appropriate. And we have been sending that message. In fact, every single Republican unanimously blocked movement on this Ukraine package until we deal with the southern border. I think Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden need to get the message that Republicans are serious about this. We are unanimous that this has to be dealt with. And if you look at what's happened just since October, October the 7th, the Hamas invasion took place in Israel. Christopher Wray, our FBI chief, said that the number of alerts from national security standpoint, standpoint have gone up like a Christmas tree since that happened. 
They've encountered over 150 nationalities crossing our border illegally just since October. We don't know who's in our nation, Shannon, but we do know this. It's destabilizing our country. The fentanyl that's coming in is killing our kids. Cities are overwhelmed, and we have many, many people here on the terrorist watch list. We don't know what they're going to do, yet the risk is going up exponentially. We have to deal with it now. We have sent that message loud and clear. Negotiations took place leading up to Christmas. They've fallen apart. The Biden administration has to understand that we are serious as Republicans. We're going to stand up against this. We have to make certain that we do in the 11 days that we've got when we get back into session. You mentioned they've fallen apart. Do you feel that it's come to a stop? Are we moving backwards? Is there forward progress? Where are we in your assessment? It's hard to say because we've got to see it all come together at once. We, we get piecemeal language that might work, that might be one step forward. But if they loosen something else, Shannon, does that make sense? Uh, we've got to look at it in its entirety because the Biden administration has been clear. They want to destabilize the border. They're encouraging as many people to flood into this nation as they possibly can, essentially to backfill the blue states where populations are leaving and help them in the calculation of congressional seats going forward and electoral votes. But that needs to stop. The danger that they're willing to put our nation through is unconscionable. Uh, the number of lives that we deal with just here in Tennessee that are lost to fentanyl, two to 3,000 kids this year, Shannon, will die due to fentanyl overdoses. And the Biden administration is willing to look the other way while they transform America. It has to stop. Well, you're not suggesting they actually want our borders to be overrun and for Americans to be killed by what's coming across the border, are you? I'm suggesting that they're tolerating this. And it's clear. We already have the tools. President Trump proved this. He had the border taken down to a practical shutdown. The Remain in Mexico policy that's still on the books could be imposed tomorrow. Title 42, they tossed that. Everything that's happening right now is an acceleration of people into our nation. The supplemental language that the Biden administration sent over earlier for this package that includes Ukraine, Israel, when they say border, what they've asked for is more money to more rapidly process people into our country and for the ability to transform ICE, the only law enforcement agency we have that can deport people, to transform that agency into a resettlement agency. It's okay. a shame. So the supplemental uh, includes all of these very difficult conversations, but yes. it, it's just part of what's waiting for you in January. The New York Times puts it this way. It says the Senate failed to deliver on aid to Ukraine. It could not agree on a border policy plan and a government shutdown is on the horizon. Punchbowl sums it up this way very simply. January is going to be terrible. So the fact that we now have these two deadlines for government spending, you're on appropriations. You know the supplemental yes. bill. You know, the rating for Congress right now is in the teens. How do you tell America you're going to get this done? Well, we've been ready as Republicans uh, for, for months. We've had our all appropriations bills passed. Chuck Schumer has not been willing to move on any of them. Instead, he's put through radical Democrat nominees for judges. So we've got to get serious. We're going to be working night and day, I hope, when we return on January the 8th to get this done. But it could not be more critical. Absolutely. All right, Senator Haggerty, uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank Merry you, Christmas Shannon. to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks. All right, up next, the Colorado Supreme Court rules former President Trump is not eligible to appear on the state's 2024 primary ballot. We're going to bring in our Sunday panel to discuss the ripple effects the decision could have on many other states that are weighing similar actions. I brought in Insure Max Protein with. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, had no precedent in American history, um, and it's not something that's going to be upheld by the Supreme Court. I am going to defeat Donald Trump on my own. I don't need a judge to go take him off the ballot. I think it would cause a lot of anger in this country if people had the choice taken away from them. I would rather have them make the choice that he doesn't deserve it. I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Trump's name is restored. Former President Trump's Republican rivals for the White House reacting to that Colorado Supreme Court decision to disqualify him from the state's primary ballot. Now the big question, will the Supreme Court get involved? A new Fox Business poll, by the way, out of Iowa shows 52 percent of likely GOP caucus goers now support President Trump. That puts him over 50 percent for the first time. But a New York Times-Siena poll also indicates a quarter of Trump supporters say he shouldn't be the party's nominee if he's convicted of a crime, even if he has won the most votes and delegates. It's time now for our Sunday group, host of Media Buzz on the Fox News channel, Howie Kurtz. Former 2020 Biden campaign surrogate Kevin Walling. Mark Thiessen, columnist for The Washington Post, and Fox News correspondent Alex Hoff. Okay, panel, great to see all of you. But what this illustrates for us, Alex, once again, is that when President Trump has trouble, his own rivals in the GOP field are among those who have to now come out to his defense. And I'm sure he's celebrating that. Yeah, I mean, this is also a fundraising blitz for the former president, too. Um, he was able to put out several posts on Truth Social asking for additional support, which he will likely get. But it's unsurprising to see these GOP rivals saying that this should not happen. We're seeing Democrats say the same thing as well. Gavin Newsom in California. Uh, I don't think a Democrat wants to see this as an indication that perhaps uh, President Biden can't win on his own, that there needs to be measures taken. So I think it's unsurprising. I don't see any more candidates uh, jumping on board what Vivek Ramaswamy has pledged to do in Colorado. Um, But uh, I think it's unsurprising. It is. So we're still waiting for the Trump legal team, by the way, to file at the Supreme Court because they can't take up the case until it officially gets there. (laughs) Meanwhile, here's Congressman Jamie Raskin, Democrat, who led the impeachment trial against President Trump. Here's his take on the Colorado decision. The Colorado Supreme Court gave it a plain reading. Um, If you sworn an oath to support the Constitution and you violate that oath, by engaging in insurrection or rebellion, you can never hold office again unless the Congress uh, votes by a two-thirds margin to essentially reinstate your eligibility. Howie, he obviously likes this decision, but there are folks across the spectrum that seem to think it's not going to hold up. Look, the Colorado ruling is a slap in the face of democracy in the name of preserving democracy. And at the same time, you know, we hear all these liberals, they love it, but for a court of Democratic appointees to tell voters in Colorado, they can't support Republican frontrunner, reinforces the whole notion the establishment is out to get Donald Trump and probably helps him. Even some liberal commentators are saying this is an awful decision. And what is to stop some red states from kicking President Biden off the ballot by saying he didn't protect the border? I seriously doubt the Supreme Court will let this stand. Well, the dissent, um, there were several dissents in this Colorado Supreme Court decision. One of the justices um, appointed by a Democratic governor said this, in my view, what transpired in this litigation fell woefully short of what due process demands. I've been involved in the justice system for 33 years now, and what took place here doesn't resemble anything I've seen in a courtroom. Kevin? Well, listen, I think this process is going to play out. Clearly, this is a well-thought-out opinion, 120 pages. 
Interestingly enough, there's a, a few lawyers from the Federalist Society who actually put forward this notion originally about removing uh, Donald Trump because of the 14th Amendment. But listen, I'm a Democrat that wants to beat him fair and square at the ballot box. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be pushing for. Well, I want to put up to a map that there are numerous states where there have been these attempts. They're underway. Look at that map. I mean, there, this is not the only state. Now, Colorado is on track, uh, obviously, with what they've done. But, uh, Mark, that would suggest to me that the Supreme Court probably is going to want to get involved because this decision has potentially a ripple effect across the country. And, um, Alex, I think you mentioned that there were a number of Democrats. We talked about Gavin Newsom this morning on Fox & Friends, um, that he is saying, let's not try to win this way. You've got RFK Jr. tweeting out, if Trump is kept out of office through judicial fiat, fiat rather than being defeated in a fair election, his supporters will never accept the result. This country will become ungovernable. Cornell West, also running a third-party bid, said the same thing. I don't want this decided in the courts. Yeah, they're right. Just, just to put this in perspective, Charles Manson was indicted eight times. Uh, the Unabomber was indicted ten times. Donald Trump has been indicted 91 times, and not one of those indictments is for insurrection. He was acquitted in the Senate trial. Jamie Raskin, you know, he might be complaining, but he didn't do a very good job because he didn't get a conviction. And Jack Smith did not include a charge of, in, uh, of incitement of an insurrection in his indictment. There's a law in the books, 18 U.S. Code 2383, which makes it a federal crime to incite, assist, or participate in a rebellion or an in, uh, insurrection against the federal government. He's not charged with it. So the idea that somehow the states can come in without either a federal court having convicted him of, uh, of, in, uh, of, uh, of insurrection or him having been impeached by the Congress, uh, by the United States Senate, is absurd. I've, I've, if this gets to the Supreme Court, it will be a 9 nothing decision. Okay, in the meantime, we've got brand new Fox News polling, or excuse me, Fox Business polling out of Iowa. This is, these are caucus goers. They don't seem phased by this because now President Trump is at 52%. We mentioned earlier in the show, he's above 50%. So, I mean, Howie, going into this, he's got the wind at his back. And again, these things seem to bolster him with those that are really already in his camp. Yeah, the numbers just keep going up and up despite the indictments, despite all the media negativity toward the former president. And the one thing that the media echo chamber is latching onto now uh, is saying he's Hitler, he's Mussolini, he's a dictator because of the language he uses, admittedly very harsh. Uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric. Um, and this is what Donald Trump does. He's a master of it, going back to his days in New York. He'll go over the top with his language. He'll create a political frenzy. Then he'll back off a little bit, as he told Hugh Hewitt, I, I don't know anything about Adolf Hitler. Uh, but meanwhile, he dominates the media mm -hmm. agenda, takes the oxygen away from everybody else until the next eruption. Well, okay, so good poll numbers for him. Not so great poll numbers for the current president. Um, Washington Post reporting on him being increasingly frustrated by these numbers and what's going on. They say this, the accumulation of troubling polls for Biden has made it harder for Democrats to dismiss them, leading to a fresh conversation, set of conversations among Biden officials and allies about whether the president and his team need a shift in strategy. Kevin, do they need one? He's not happy. So. Listen, he, he's not happy. And as the president said, polls don't vote, people do. And we had... Uh, a record win for Democrats in the midterm election uh, in 2022. In this off-cycle election in 2023, Democrats picked up uh, more and more seats. So listen, the president's going to run a strong campaign. He's got a lot of things that he can run on with the state of the economy, great inflation numbers. Now wages are at pacing inflation for the first time in a long but time. But he is worried Gasoline about the polls. Is Certainly he's worried about the polls. And that, I and would that's be not, too. And that, he's that, acknowledging. That, that's not resonating necessarily with the American people. We've got 10 months to make sure that the American people hear Well, they're that moving message. in the wrong direction right now. <laughs> well, and we're going to work on that. Well, today. and it's not only on that. that. He's also got the headaches involving Hunter, who now right. has a January court date for some of his charges. 
Davis. Um, and there's this from NBC News reporting um, that Joe Biden exchanged emails with his son Hunter's business associate 54 times while he was serving as vice president. Some of the messages were sent around the time the elder Biden was traveling to Ukraine and his son was working for a Ukrainian gas company. Um, Mark, the, the story from the White House continues to change about what level of involvement the president had. It's uh, it's it's just one of many, uh, you know, clouds that are hanging over this president. He's, you know, no one, you know, the polls show that uh, 76 percent of Americans think he's too old for a second term. Majority think he's incompetent. And that that's that wouldn't be a problem if he was doing well. <laughs> Everyone thought that he was doing well. No one, no one cared about Ronald Reagan's age because it was morning in America. It's not morning in America today. So these polls are, are bad news for him. And Hunter Biden doesn't help. Alex, final word to you. Yeah, I think that it's uh, something very interesting for the president right now is trying to appease his base as a whole. We heard him yesterday come out and say that he spoke to Prime Minister Netanyahu and said he did not ask for a ceasefire. The situation in Gaza, it's treacherous territory for the president uh, when it comes to the far left progressives in his party. But also the border, I think, is, is interesting territory for him, too. We're seeing the White House become a bit more active on that. And I don't know if Democrats as a whole um, are going to support the White House becoming more involved. Well, and as poll numbers on all of those issues moving in the wrong direction. We've so got you, you've got We've your got 10 months. Time. Okay, we will see. Panel, thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> on that note, panel, we'll see you next Sunday. We've got a lot more for you coming up this morning on this Christmas week. And first, this. He turned his biggest heartbreak into music that's comforting others walking through deep suffering. My conversation with Grammy winner Toby Mack coming up. Plus, I went behind the scenes in Nashville with Christian rock artist Zach Williams to talk about his number one hit with Dolly Parton and his story of redemption. It's on Fox News Sunday special, Keeping the Faith, up next. A force to be written. The rest of this hour, we are keeping the faith, sitting down with some guests whose stories will inspire and encourage you. First up, Zach Williams, a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter who hit rock bottom and gave up on his singing career before scoring a chart-topping duet with Dolly Parton. After all of this, finding his way back to the faith of his childhood. He's touring the country now, sharing his personal story, warts and all in the hopes of helping someone else turn their life around. Zach Williams spent years on the road as a musician, long before he started topping the charts and winning Grammys. And for a while, it was the rock and roll life he dreamed it would be. I would stand on stage, you know, two, three hours a night singing in these bars and these nightclubs. And for those three hours, I was having the time of my life. I was fulfilled, you know. But when the lights would go down and I would step off stage and go back home, there was this emptiness that I was searching for that, you know, that filled for that time, but it didn't last, you know, and it was like a season. A season marked by battles with drugs and alcohol and spiraling into a place he found difficult to escape. As a kid, Williams had very different dreams, ones that didn't include music at all. If you'd asked 15-year-old Zach if he would have been doing this, I would have been like, no, I would be retired from the NBA by now. Um, <laughs> I'm just counting my stacks of money Yeah, now. it just it, it didn't work out, you know. Um, life happens, you know, sometimes you make bad decisions and you pay the price for that. But I'm, I'm just grateful that God was, you know, still pursuing me, even though those number of years I wasn't pursuing him. 
struggling to figure out how to put his increasingly unmanageable life back together. Zach said simply, God, if you're real, you're going to have to prove it. As he was riding on a tour bus through Spain, the driver stumbled across an English-language Christian station and the words of a song that spoke of God's redemption for a man living with the weight of a messy past pierced William's heart. That wound up sparking a change for him. Williams packed up and left the road, going home to rebuild his marriage and family. I've traveled a lot of miles in my life, a lot of them I'm not proud of, but I, I think I had to go through that part of my life to get to where I am now and stand on stages like this and share with, with, which, you know, with what God's done in my life, just share it with the world. And Williams credits his wife, Crystal, for never giving up on him, despite his repeated promises to straighten out his life. He took a job in construction and slowly, quietly began making good on all those broken promises. He left music behind for several years, but eventually started leading worship at a church and penning songs like his number one smash, Chain Breaker. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice, still the same old lies. I started writing music. That was always my prayer was that God would take the song that I'm writing and, you know, use it the way that I intended, you know, reach people that are lost and broken, uh, hurting, you know, the way that I was in that time of my life. It's a theme at the core of another one of his number one hits, There Was Jesus, recorded with his good friend, Dolly Parton. It scored Williams another Grammy, but he says what's most important is the platform the music has given him to reach others with the message of hope he found in God's forgiveness and redemption. Get in a quiet place, you know, have that time with, with God and tell him what's on your heart. You know, he'll meet you in those moments. and his wife have a book coming out in the spring entitled Rescue Story. As for Christmas plans, I'm told the Williams family has a very competitive gingerbread house contest. Zach, by the way, also scored a number one hit in a collaboration with my next guest. In the mid-90s, Toby Mac was a founding member of DC Talk, a rap, rock, and hip-hop trio that became one of the most influential and groundbreaking groups in Christian music. These days, the singer-songwriter is a solo act. We caught up with Toby earlier this year as he was promoting an album born out of a tragic loss that threatened to shake his faith. You're the only rock that I will build my life on through it all you remain. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. I think the way my songs connect with people because I write them about what I'm going through. And my theory is that I'm not that different from everybody out there. is no stranger to tackling tough subjects in his music. Right now, he's performing his faith-infused lyrics on his annual Hits Deep tour, featuring songs he wrote while dealing with the devastating grief of losing his oldest son. I remember driving to my first writing session, and I'm like, am I really going to... am I really going to walk in this room, a writing session with these guys, and act like 
everything's normal when it's so far from that. In 2019, his 21-year-old son, Truett, died of an accidental overdose. My heart is, is shattered. Like, how can I act? How can I do what I did before? I, it, it, felt, it felt really strange to me, and it felt so sad. Ain't no doubt about you. Channeled that grief into new songs to help his millions of listeners find hope in the midst of their own suffering. The guys were so gentle with me. I ended up writing a song that day called Faithfully. And it just talks about, you know, when my world broke into pieces, you were there faithfully. When I cried out to you, Jesus, you made a way for me. So I wrote it about that, but it was very, very, very dear song to my heart about how God is kind to me in the, in the hardest place, in the deepest valley. Have you heard from other people? I've got to imagine they've been so touched by this music. Yeah, I've heard from a lot of people that have lost, lost loved ones. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to be the guy that wrote that song that met them where they were, but I'm that guy. And, and uh, you know, God's going to use everything. I believe that. You know, this is my hometown, right? Toby Mack was born Toby McKeon and grew up just outside of the nation's capital in Fairfax, Virginia. He shot to fame as a member of DC Talk, a Christian rap trio formed with two classmates while studying at Liberty University. Now at 58, his performances are still high octane. Do you ever feel the wear and tear of doing these shows the way you do them? You know, I'm, I love doing them. You know, we're on our 13th show tonight I'm in my hometown that I grew up in, came to shows here. Um, I, I plan on leaving every ounce of, uh, of anything on that stage tonight. You're warmed up. Yeah, I'm warmed up. Give it up for the Diverse City Band. Each night, he takes the stage with the musicians and singers who make up his diverse city band, spreading their message of God's goodness. How do you go about writing music and songs? You've got a way with words, um, but how does all of that come together? It's uh, a lot of different ways, but typically it starts here. Um, I love to write around people. I love human relationships. I think we're more beautiful uh, as, a, as a human race when, when all our colors are represented and, and when and we're more welcoming to each other. A lot of times I'll write, you know, a, a hook of a song before I walk in the studio. Many, many times. I remember writing Help Is On The Way. Uh, I walked in to the guy's studio and I'm like, you know, maybe midnight or midday, never early, never late. Okay, so long-term, what do you want your legacy to be? Interestingly enough, backstage matters to me as much or almost more than on stage. Not just my life at home. Of course that matters to me. Backstage matters to me. What happens in these halls uh, of an arena? What happens at catering? What happens at tour church? If there's not community and love, praying for each other, going on backstage, then if we take the stage... Aren't we just hypocrites? We want people to experience a night where they're fully entertained, uh, but a night also where they're reminded that God loves them. All of 
Toby also released a new Christmas track this year, Christmas Hits Different, stemming from the loss, that experience of losing his son. Up next, he's mesmerized fans for years on the ice, but you may be even more impressed by what he does out of the spotlight. I chat with figure skating legend Scott Hamilton and even got some much-needed tips from the Olympic gold medalist. Don't judge. In your peripheral vision, can you see your elbows? Yes. All right. Bend your knees a little bit and now engage your core. Okay. All right. All right. He feels... Yeah, I feel pretty sick. Yeah, that's how you skip. I need a lot of work. Plus... The most awarded gospel artist of all time joins me to talk about her faith, her music, and her passion for the next generation. Much more when we return to Fox News Sundays, Keeping the Faith, this Christmas weekend. Welcome back. He is one of the most recognizable faces in America, an Olympic gold medalist who went on to skate professionally for decades. But Scott Hamilton has also become known for his multiple bouts with cancer. And now he's channeling his trials into helping others after once wondering exactly what to do with his life. I got to ask you, what does it feel like to win an Olympic gold for your country? It's complicated. When he captured the gold in 1984 at the Sarajevo Olympics, Scott Hamilton was at the top of his sport, but grieving over the fact that his mother, who he lost to cancer when he was 18, wasn't there to celebrate with him. He'd gone undefeated for four years leading up to the gold, and as he stood on that podium, his heart bursting with national pride, he suddenly had a bit of an existential crisis. I felt this this kind of odd, um, like I was, like, what do I do now? Because every day I got up for that goal, for that goal. And it's like, now, now what do I do? And then I'm standing up there and it's like, well, who am I? And what am I going to, and how am I going to, and I'm 25 years old and I, I, I don't have, this is my whole identity. And now, and now, and I looked over the edge of the podium, like it was a cliff. Mm. And then the metal goes around your neck. And then it's like, this is real. Hamilton threw himself into the world of professional skating and touring and broadcasting, finding enormous success in the decades following the Olympics. But those years also brought the return of a familiar foe, the one that had taken his mother, cancer. And this time he was the one in the fight. You got to work, but it's, um, you know, you got to get past that initial shock and that initial feeling that you've been just kicked in the gut. And then you just got to, it's all in the response. And so um, first brain tumor was prayer. Second brain tumor was just devastating. And the third brain tumor was, we're fine. You know, we're just going to pray. And it's like, all I felt was this overwhelming urge to get strong. And I didn't know if it was physical, emotional, intellectual, or spiritual. So I chose to eat all the above. And Hamilton didn't choose it for himself alone. He's launched numerous cancer charities and research efforts aimed at equipping patients with information and data from trusted sources in a format they can easily digest. When most people are diagnosed with any disease, they go to Dr. Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst possible doctor you could go well, to it's just, to figure it's out just, anything. You get sucked into the, you know, this rabbit hole of like... You have 10 seconds to live, basically. Yeah, right. So, you know, um, I realized that I went to Dr. Google and every single thing I found was a medical journal paper with 12-syllable words. Mm. 
And I thought, I'm too dumb to be sick. <laughs> it's like, that's not fair. Chemocare.com is a patient-friendly website Hamilton created in conjunction with the Cleveland Clinic, where he was once treated. Hamilton also continues to pull together the skating world's best veteran and new talents, including at his annual Scott Hamilton and Friends event that blends live music and performances on the ice. In order to raise funds aimed at researching cancer out of existence altogether, his multiple battles with the disease have crystallized his overall philosophy on life. Today is one of your days, and you have to live it. And and living in the past is only good if you can draw love out of it. It's a mantra that helped him through the loss of his father. At a moment, he should have been celebrating another highlight of his own personal success. I was covering the biggest competition of my life um, for, you know, the Olympics and the night of the ladies' final in Lillehammer. The short program was the fourth most watched television program in the history of television. Mm. And I should be, like, thrilled. But my dad was in a hospital. And I was working, and he died. And I, I didn't get to see him. And it just... Like those type of things, you know, they're, they're hard. No matter what the struggle, Hamilton knows the holidays especially can be a bittersweet time as we celebrate the joys of being together while acknowledging the ache we feel over those who are no longer with us. He credits his faith with guiding him through his toughest challenges and says it's the purpose behind a life now dedicated to serving others. A lot of people think it's Santa Claus. A lot of people think it's Hanukkah. A lot of, whatever, whatever holiday However you want to celebrate the season, it's, it's meant to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be rooted in generosity. And um, there's been no greater generosity than um, the birth and life of our, and death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. Scott and his wife, Tracy, who he refers to as Superwoman, are a very busy family with four children. Only one of them has followed Hamilton onto the ice, but he is a competitive hockey player. Now to our next guest, Cece Winans, the best-selling and most awarded female gospel artist of all time. We had the honor of catching up with the Grammy-winning powerhouse when she stopped in Washington to perform with the National Symphony Orchestra. I bring you news to encourage you. He's never failed me yet. Cece Winans taking center stage at the Kennedy Center on her Believe For It tour performing some of the biggest hits of her career. You've performed so many places and done so many things, but what does each night feel like for you to get ready to take that stage and do something special? I want to offer hope because no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, you're praying for something. You're believing for something and you need hope. Winans kick-started her career back in the 80s, singing alongside her brother, B.B. Together, nine of their albums went gold and platinum. By the mid-90s, CeCe turned solo, even reaching the top ten in pop charts with her dear friend, Whitney Houston. When I was a child, I did childish things. Beyond her music, CeCe has found more ways to share her message. So, Mom, uh, 
Let me just start out by saying thank you. Like roundtables with the other Winans women. Thank you for your faithfulness. But you do so many other things, too. I mean, you're a writer. You speak. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you enjoy most? I don't know. That's a hard question. I think it's, it's not so much of how I express it. It's just what I express, you know, to be able to be a mouthpiece and ambassador for for the Heavenly Father. And you've also written a book now that's also to the next generation, mm-hmm. too, about carrying on faith yes. and what that means to a new generation. We live in a, a world that's in need of hope. And, and so we have to instill it in our children. I'm here today because of the generation before me, because of my mom and my grandmom and, and not just my family members, but other people, part of that community who actually cared enough to lay down their lives so that I could learn, so that they could pour into me. And, and Shannon, I don't know when it happened, but I became part of the older generation. I know. I woke up one day. And thought, we're now the mentors, not right. the mentees. now we're the mentees. Those who were before me, they, they went through a lot of hardship. When we look in the scriptures, look with the disciples and, and the apostles, what they went through so that we could have the faith. Um, I can at least go through a no, a little rejection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you to know? be as successful as you are. We know you're going to hear those. It's hard to for people to look at you and say, oh, my goodness, all these Grammys and all these other oh awards. Oh, my God. Yeah, She's right. so successful. But it's right. good for people to know that to there, know. there were some no's. Pain is a part of life. Disappointment is a part of life. And actually, nobody wants to say this, but it's through the roughest times mm-hmm. that God really shows up. Powerful voice and such an inspiring message. Well, Michael W. Smith is one of contemporary Christian music's most recognizable names. We'll talk about what he's up to during the holiday season next. Okay, everyone. Michael W. Smith is a multi-platinum singer-songwriter who's been a mainstay on the contemporary Christian and adult music charts for 40 years. This year, the Grammy-winning artist released his fifth holiday album, Every Christmas, with a strong focus on family. I spoke with Smith last year as he hit the road for his annual, very popular Christmas tour. I don't think you can ever project down the road, oh, I'm going to be playing arenas or stadiums or anything like that. But here I am, and I'm just... I pinch myself every day that I get to do this. After four decades topping the charts, Michael W. Smith still feels right at home, ringing in the holidays with fans. Growing up, did you ever think you'd be spending your Christmases like this? Probably not. I remember when I finished that first album, I thought, thank you, God, I got to make a record. Not knowing I would make 36 or whatever, you know. We caught up with him in Virginia, kicking off the latest leg of his Christmas tour. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What have these Christmas concerts been like this year? What is it about music that is soothes the soul? I still think it's the most powerful universal language in the world. And a three and a half minute song can sort of whew, And you just feel like the, you just feel like they're gonna walk out of here and 
with a greater sense of hope going, you know what? I can get through this battle. And I think that's what this music does for people. Smith is a titan of contemporary Christian rock and pop, winning Grammys and selling 18 million records. He started out writing songs and touring with a woman who would soon become an industry giant, Amy Grant. We're excited. You and Amy have written together. You've toured together. How would you describe your friendship over the years? You've been through some really difficult things together, but some mountaintops, too. Our love for music was deep, and we wrote some songs that I'm really proud of, if I can say that. There's just a camaraderie there that you can't manufacture. Our love for each other and our gifts, and I've learned a lot from her. She might be the kindest woman I've ever known in my entire life. Other than my wife, Debbie. Listen, knowing <laughs> Debbie, that is saying something. They're two amazing women. We're still making music together, and we're still doing the Christmas tours together. And, you know, if it's, if it's working, why, why stop? Smith is a songwriter at heart with an effortless touch at the keyboard. B-roll. <laughs> I'll give you some B-roll. He's going to write a song called B-roll. Good. <laughs> Do you feel or ever think about all right, this one's going to be a hit, or write for a hit, or you just write what you feel led to do. I write what I feel led to do. I mean, you know, I'm not 25 anymore. <laughs> I mean, that, guess, that means I'm not uh, yeah. either. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's always tempting that you want to compete, or why am I not, why am I not on the radio, or da-da. You just can't go there. has an ardent fan base with songs that often serve as a soundtrack for their individual milestones. You talk about having songs that have staying power and over, gosh, four decades now, I guess, in music and in writing and performing. What are a couple of the standouts for you? Well, All Is Well is my favorite song I've written. Um, you know, you just never forget the moment you wrote it. I think most people would want me to say Friends. It might not be my favorite song, but I didn't know I was going to have to sing it for the rest of my entire right. life. I hope uh, you like it now. And it just, I mean, it, it's, it's the part of the fabric of people's lives. You just, uh, you watch it every night. You look at the audience and go, oh my gosh, that was sung at a funeral. That was sung at a graduation. I mean, the list goes on. His music has also been a source of comfort in some of the most difficult moments Americans have shared as a nation, including September 11th. One of my favorite songs of yours is There She Stands. And I was a younger reporter in New York when you played that at the RNC. It's just a powerful song. Is that one of those that the imagery, that flag that was raised over the site at, um, you know, in New York, did that come to you? Did you have to work on that? It all stemmed from a conversation I had with President George W. Bush and... I was with him six weeks after 9-11. I would go visit often, and, and I think he was processing, probably just like all of us were. And then he just looked at me, and he said, W. He said, you, his wife called me W. <laughs> he said, you need to write a song about this. And I'm sitting there going, how do I do that? No pressure. There's no way. And I, and I remember saying, I will try, Mr. President. I remember walking out of the office and, and was hoping that he would never bring it up again. <laughs> And then six months later, I'm on my farm, and I have a big American flag that flies out there. 
And I look up the flag, and the wind's blowing. It's a beautiful spring day. And I looked up the flag, and I had a meltdown. And I started literally weeping, thinking about all the heroes, all the people who had died for my freedom. Just when you think the fight is gone. I'm on this piece of dirt that I love because somebody fought for this country. And all of a sudden, I started to write. There she stands, standing, watching the flag. It's the holiday season. All these years later, Smith is still doing what he loves, hitting stages across the nation and even writing some new standards. Can we freeze the frame? Stop the hands of time. Did you ever think of this snowball of where your career would take you? You always wonder, is it gonna end? I mean it'd be different if people didn't buy the records and if people didn't continue to to come to the shows. It all comes down to the song. You can be a mediocre singer, which I would consider myself one of those. <laughs> I'm not an Andrea Bocelli, but if you have the song and they sing the song for the rest of their lives, then I think you might have a chance of sticking around. Happy holiday. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Michael and all the folks who joined us for our Keeping the Faith part of the show. Just a quick note, my podcast, Live in the Bream, drops fresh this morning. I sat down this week with Pastor Max Lucado to talk about the true miracles of Christmas. Plus, you can hear all of today's program on the Fox News Sunday podcast. Download and subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you like to get your podcasts. That's it for us today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Shannon Bream. Have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you next Fox News Sunday. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to Fox News Sunday ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.